This book is an absolutely amazing book, Philippians, that we're studying. Don't you, don't you think so? Amen. Of course, all the Word of God is absolutely amazing. It's wonderful that God chose to reveal Himself to us through His Word. Well, we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. And Paul had been talking about running a race in the Christian life, and now he focuses on good examples versus the enemies of the cross. I'll tell you, more and more we need to have discernment on who we should follow and who we should not. Many come to me, and it's so accessible anymore, I was watching this YouTube video of this guy preaching. May I say, be very, very careful. Because there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing putting their stuff on the internet. There's a lot. Okay, let me start. If they question God's word, turn it off. If they deny God's word, turn it off. If they change God's word, if there's anything that you see that brings suspicion to your mind, it's probably not good because understand the Holy Spirit of God inside of you is teaching you his word. And if it seems like it's contradicting and you can prove it's contradictory, it's not worth listening to, period. But we need to have discernment and who we're going to follow and determine if they truly are a godly example. Because the enemies of the cross don't sit there and wear a tag that says, I'm the enemy. Matter of fact, Satan has always been very sly, has he not? And so are the false teachers very sly. They creep in. Jude says that, does he not? That they creep in unawares. They pretend to be something they are not. By the way, this happens in other areas of life too. We call them politicians. They pretend to be conservative until it comes time to vote. Both of our senators proved that this week, right? Go ahead and say it. Yes. But trust me, it happens in churches. False teachers creep in unaware. Now, Paul's already identified the Judaizers who were trying to teach you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. I'm glad that's false. But today, we're going to look at the example. Um, the title today is Marking Examples and Enemies. Marking Examples and Enemies. What does that mean? Well, as I said, the enemy doesn't wear a tag saying, I'm the enemy. So you need to have discernment. Who is the enemy? Who is the example to follow, and you need to mark them. That doesn't mean you go up physically and put on right on them, okay? But you know who's who, and after you identify them, then you warn others at times, too. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 15, and we'll look all the way to the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything... Ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, 
From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we're going to look three things. First of all, the example to follow. The example to follow. We'll see that in verses 15 through 17. Secondly, we'll notice the enemy to flee. The enemy to flee. We'll see that in verses 18 and 19. And then lastly, the end on which to focus. The end on which to focus, and that'll be in the last two verses. Christian, you and I need to have discernment when it comes to looking at people. Father, I pray as we examine this passage this morning, again, we'd realize the importance of discernment, the importance of marking those who are an example and those who are the enemy, realizing the end is eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that we take these principles and be able to apply them to our hearts and lives. Please give clarity in presenting them. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. There is an example to follow. Paul starts out by saying, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Now, we'll talk about the word perfect in just a moment, but, moment, but he says, let us, therefore, therefore what? When you see a therefore, you always got to stop and see what it's there for. You heard that a million times, but it's, it's true, right? Because, again, that's part of like we're talking on Wednesday night, studying the Bible how to study the Bible. When you see a word, therefore, it's a conclusion word, so you need to see, well, what are you concluding here? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, we, therefore, who are running this race, who realize we have not finished the race yet, need to continue to press forth toward that mark that he talks about in verse 14. The crown, the prize that Christ is going to give us at the end of the race. We need to keep pressing toward that mark. A mature Christian... And by the way, that's what perfect means. Perfect does not mean sinless. It doesn't mean one who's arrived. It means a mature Christian, one who's grown in Christ, or mature, depending on where you're from, which is the proper way of saying that. I hear it said both ways. And I think it's another one of those is a pecan or a pecan. I don't know. So I say mature because I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. So that's what we said up there, okay? Of course, there's those that moved in. We're mature. I'm like, Whatever. But Christian, mature Christians need to be striving for the mark. A mature Christian is not going to be focused on the things of this world, but he's going to be focused on the eternal, on the heavenly things. And so, Christian, if your focus is the temporal things of this world, now I'm not saying you don't deal with the temporal things, but you, your love, your, your desire is for the things of this world, and even as you're doing the things in this world, like your job, like you know, preparing food and whatnot, you still can be talking to God, giving glory to God, still realizing God is the one who gave you all these things, right? That's having a heavenly mind, not an earthly mind. But if the things of this world are what consume you, and you have to have the things of this world, and you have to have those times of, you know, excitement and joy and pleasure and all those things, that that means more to you than your time with God, than your carnal. But a mature Christian is not going to focus on worldly things, but he's going to rather focus on Christ. He's going to focus on the prize, focus on eternity, and going to run the race with patience. So Paul says, 
And then I have people say, well, I don't know, am I a mature Christian or not? Paul says here, let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. I am thankful the Holy Spirit of God shows me when I am not being heavenly minded. When the Holy Spirit of God says, Jim, that, your focus is on etern- or temporal. Your focus is on the material things of this world. Does that really mean that much to you that you're going to hold on to it? I am glad when I'm otherwise minded, God reveals it to me. Aren't you? And so you don't have to ask, am I being a spiritual Christian? Am I not? You, other than asking the Holy Spirit of God to examine your heart and he will reveal it to you. And if the Holy Spirit of God reveals something to you that you're holding on to that is more important to you than God, then Christian, you are better off without it. Period. Get rid of it. If it's obstructing your relationship with God, I promise you, your life would be better without it. Now, we looked at Wednesday about different passages that get misinterpreted. And one of them was Jesus saying, if your right hand offend you, cut it off, right? Okay, he was not teaching self-mutilation, but what he was saying is our focus needs to be so heavenly that whatever on earth obstructs you from running the race, get rid of it. Not literally cutting off your hand, okay? But get rid of the things of this world that are obstructing your race, your run with God. And if you're not willing to, then what you are saying is these mean more to me than my relationship with God. That is what you're telling God. So we're not to think too highly of ourselves. We live in a world that teaches self-love, I'm trying to think of the word they use all the time, of self-esteem, you know, you need to be thinking of yourself, you need to make sure you love yourself, you need to make sure blah, blah. You know, the truth is, there is not a person who walks this earth who doesn't have a problem of loving self. I don't know why the world always saying, oh, you don't love yourself enough. What? Yes, you do. The problem is, is with some people are so self-absorbed that that's all they think about. But immaturity is corrected by growth. So if the Holy Spirit shows you there's areas in your life that you're immature, it's okay as long as you change and allow him to help you grow, right? So, little Mary, we don't expect her to feed herself yet, do we? We don't expect her to walk yet, or crawl, or do any of those things, right? Or talk. But, come about a year, things are going to start changing. Two years, things really change. Because we expect her, within the next several years, to grow. And there start to become a certain maturity level, right? Now, it doesn't mean that she's ready to move out of the house at five. But so it is with our Christian walk. There ought to be growth. And if there is not growth, if you've been saved for a long time and still a baby Christian, then may I say shame on you, you need to grow up. I say that kindly, okay? I know it may sound harsh, but the truth is, is it's time to grow up. Because just as it would be abnormal for a 15-year-old not to be able to feed themselves and not be able to dress themselves and, and things of that nature, we would say that there was a, 
a deficiency, if you will, in their development, so it is for a Christian who's been saved any length of time to still be acting like the world and still be acting like a baby Christian. You ought to be growing. There ought to be a difference. You say, well, how do I know that? Again, the Holy Spirit will convict you, but here's a simple question you can ask yourself. Am I walking closer to God today than I was a year ago? If the answer is no, then why are you not growing? We need to be growing. So allow God to convict you of an improper focus and change your thinking. Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be jello stuffed into the world's mold, but be transformed. The word transformed is the same word from which we get the word metamorphosis. The caterpillar being turned into a beautiful butterfly. Be that butterfly that God wants you to be. Be changed in your thinking. Be changed in the way you view this world. Be changed in the way you view self. Be changed in the way you view sin. And it all happens by changing the way we think about God. An example, then, should not only be a mature Christian, but also an example must follow the rules. Nevertheless, verse 16, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. We need to strive to run lawfully so as not to be disqualified. 2 Timothy 2.5, if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Again, you can't cheat in life. You can't look for corners in life. You can't look for whatever. You know, years ago here, we were trying to remember what the program was. Um, It was back at the sound booth. We needed a program to record our messages. And a guy says, here, I got this program. And he puts it on the computer. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about software. And I still don't know a lot, okay? I was very naive. And so he puts it on there. We start using it. And then it had a glitch one day. And I said, well, how do we... uh, Can we reload or whatever? He says, no. I said, well, what's the matter? Don't you have the original of it? He goes, no, I pirated it. I said, you did what? And this is a $1,000 program. He goes, I pirated it. And I called him by name. I said, you do realize that's stealing? I said, and you made us participate in your thievery by giving it to us? I said, I want that deleted from that computer now. Oh, come on. It's not that big a deal. I said, a thief is a thief, period. I said, and this church is not going to participate in stealing. I said, you realize if it was found out that we had used a pirated program and we're putting this on the internet, that this church could be fined thousands of dollars? He goes, oh, they don't ever look. I said, it really doesn't matter. I said, it's the principle of it. God knows. And this man continued to argue with me. I have seen Christians do some crazy things and justify it. Folks, if God convicts you of something wrong, be willing to change. And we got to follow the rules. Don't have to like the rules, but we have to follow the rules. You see, because we didn't make the rules. God did. And so if we're going to do it right, we need to do it God's way. You know, but yet some want to do this. Well, God, I'll obey you in this area because that's okay, but I really don't like what you had to say over here, so I really want to change it to this. You cannot change the rules. 
God has set them. Our responsibility is to obey them. So verse 17, brethren, talking to Christians, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for ensamples. Look for godly examples. Now, the word ensample actually has the idea of a pattern. My mom used to do a lot of sewing. And so she would get those brown paper patterns and she'd cut them all out and she'd lay it on the material a certain way. And then she'd take the scissors and she would follow the lines that it says to cut here. And then she would sew it all together and it would come out right because she followed the pattern. A ensample is going to be one who lives a life that says you can pattern your life after mine. Follow me as I follow Christ. Leaders, a true leader is going to be an example. 1 Peter 5, 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but be thou in samples of the flock. So a true godly leader is not going to say, do as I say, not as I do. That is not a leader. If somebody has to say, do what I say, not as I do, they are not a leader worth following, period. Now, if it's your boss, you're still going to do. But I'm saying if you're looking for a godly example and somebody has to use that, don't follow. Right? Because a leader is going to set the pattern. There have been men in my life that I have looked up to who have been godly examples. Now, were they perfect? No. But they tried living a godly life. So there is an example to follow. Secondly, there's an enemy to flee. An enemy to flee. For many walk, verse 18, of whom I have now told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Mark the enemy. Romans 6, 7, 16, 17 now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. If there's somebody preaching false doctrine, the Bible commands us to mark them. But you know what actually goes beyond that? Paul named them. Oh, well, you should be kinder than that, than to name people. You've heard me name names here. Of people who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't follow them. 1 Timothy 1.20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17, Hymenaeus is mentioned again. This guy was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and Paul didn't have a problem telling people, beware of him. Don't listen to him. So if I call out men like Joel Osteen and others, I don't have a problem with that because I'm following the biblical example of these are wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't follow what they're teaching. Period. It's not being mean. It's not being unkind. It's for your safety. Let's look at some characteristics of the enemy to help you identify him. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. They worship appetites and bodily desires. They worship appetites and bodily desires. And whose glory is in their shame. Hosea 4, 7 says, And they increase, so they sinned against me, for therefore I will change their glory into shame. Well, we see a lot of this going on, don't we? 
whose glory is their shame. You know, all these mainline denominations, so-called churches now deciding about, I mean, first they, they argued, should women be pastors? Well, then they all agreed, yes, women should be allowed to be pastors. Now it's all, should the homosexual be allowed to be pastors? Yes, they should be allowed to be pastors. Now should two men be allowed to be considered married? And he still be the pastor. Yes, they're, I mean, they're going down all kinds of crazy paths. It's shameful what they are glorying in. The churches that have become no more than a glorified rock concert. That's shameful. A church service is not to appeal to the flesh, but a church service is to speak to the spirit. Is that correct? And even the songs that we sing should be preparing the heart for the preaching. But if you got these songs that got your body gyrating, how's that preparing your heart for the preaching? That's preparing your flesh for not the preaching, I promise you that. And that's why they can't stand solid doctrine because then they have to give some fluffy little sermonette so that all, all the, you know, any, because the people can't handle solid doctrine. It happens frequently. It's happening all around. We were in an independent Baptist church. And this is why I ask you many times, is the volume too loud? We were in an independent Baptist church that had the big rock and roll speakers. They played good music, but they had the speak huge speakers, and then they had them all cranked up to where my ears hurt, just like it does at these big rock concerts. Not that I go to them anymore, okay? And I'm like, why? Why does it have to be so obnoxiously loud? Have you noticed the world plays everything so obnoxiously loud anymore? The false teachers not only worship their appetite and bodily desires, they glory in their shame, but they mind earthly things. Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. It says at the end of verse 19, who mind earthly things. Again, are earthly things more important to you than the heavenly things? Another characteristic, the enemy, they pervert the gospel. Galatians 1, 6, and 7, I marvel that you so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Those who teach salvation is Jesus Christ plus has perverted the gospel. And it doesn't matter what the plus is. Or those who teach that we're all getting to heaven, but just taking different roads, and you don't really even have to know Jesus Christ. By the way, Billy Graham said that. I have a video where he actually said that. He later recanted it. And I don't understand why he would even say it in the first place. Because it's not we're all getting, we're all getting to heaven just taking different roads. And even if you don't know the name of Jesus Christ, you can still make it into heaven. That is not what the Bible teaches. And that is perverting the gospel. The enemies are deceiving. Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. By the way, this is how Calvinists work. You see, every Calvinist is always smarter than you. They are. And they know better because they have been enlightened in something that you need to know. And they are going to, to 
tell you, look, if you look at this and you just study it the way I understand it, and da 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 da, and they're very deceptive in the way they keep presenting it over and over and over again because the entire Bible speaks of this loving God who has elected certain people to heaven and damned the rest to hell. Isn't he so loving? I say that facetiously because that is how stupid that doctrine is. The enemy sneaks in, 2 Peter 2.1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there are, shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. Here's some other characteristics listed for us in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Do not, do not, do not get suckered into these false teachers. Because there is an enemy to flee. Find an example to follow instead of the enemy to flee. But verse 19, whose end is destruction. The end of these false teachers, these enemies of the cross, is destruction. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sin is pleasurable for a season, is it not? If it were not, it would be a whole lot easier to avoid temptation. But these sad words in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, Many, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's very powerful. There are those standing in pulpits today who are proclaiming a false gospel, who do not know Jesus Christ personally, who will someday stand before him and say, but Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did all these wonderful works in your name. And I did all these great things in your name. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And those people, those false teachers, are leading others astray. This is why Jesus was so harsh on the Pharisees. Because when they stand before Christ, they're going to be, but, but I did all these wonderful things. I kept the law. I prayed. I fasted. I did all these things. Paul was one of them at one point, And he realized that was just vain religion. And then when he had a relationship with Christ and gave up religion, things changed in his life, didn't they? And folks... Give up on religion and focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because religion doesn't save. We live in, a, in the South, back to clock up probably, I'll say 20 years plus. You had a very religious society in the South, for the most part, did you not? Now, 
it, even the South is losing it now. But you had a very religious society. Did you have a lot of saved individuals, though? Maybe statistically a little higher than some areas of the country. But I'm going to be honest. I believe you had a lot of so-called Christians living out a religion, living out a morality, but never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's sad that so many think that they're going to get to heaven on their good works, on their church attendance, on their baptism, and they're going to stand before Christ someday, and he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. What horrible words to hear. So why do you want to follow them? Why do you want to follow the example of the enemies of the cross? Why do you want to follow the example of these false teachers who don't even know the same Savior you do? Which brings us to our last point, the end on which to focus. There are examples to follow. There are enemies to flee. Now, part of the way we get this discernment is focusing again, and this kind of goes back to the previous passage of focusing on the race, focusing on the mark, focusing on Christ. Because we need to remember, as we're told here in verse 20, for our conversation, again, that's not just our speech, but our whole manner of life. In this aspect, our citizenship, if you will, is in heaven. That's pretty neat, isn't it? I already have a citizenship in heaven. When I get there, I'm not going to be a foreigner. I'm not going to be a pilgrim. I'm not going to be a stranger. I have a citizenship there. I belong there. Just stop and think about that for a minute. That is home. If you've ever traveled to a foreign country, this really will help, I think, help you understand this because there is nothing like being on American soil. You go to a foreign country, they have strange customs. And what I mean strange is different than ours. And some of them strange. They have strange food. You can't go to the corner to a McDonald's or Burger King and buy a burger. I don't know how these people live. They, their currency is different. Their language is different. You feel totally out of place. Even when we were in Spain for quite some time, I still felt out of place. A bunch of us guys got bored one day, so we decided we were going to go to a bullfight. Let me tell you about my experience at that arena. Number one, it started drizzling a little bit. So the matador comes out and he slides around a little bit. And then the crowd starts cheering. And I'm like, okay, we're getting ready to fight because that's the American attitude, right? Well, they're all happy that they're canceling the bullfight because it's too wet and the matador might slip. And I'm like, what a sissy. I mean, you're fighting a bull, you should be a man about it, but whatever. Okay, I wouldn't do it, but... <laughs> because the American mindset was, well, get in there and fight. Give the bull half a chance. Now it's raining, now it's slippery. Now he has half a chance. But no, they, they admire their matador so much that they were all happy that they canceled because he wants a nice dry day so that the bull has no fighting chance. I'm like, well, that's stupid. Okay, because that's my American mindset, right? And then I had to use the head restroom. And I do not read Spanish. And they do not have little universal symbols of which one's which. So I took a good guess, the wrong guess. And I think I got cussed out in Spanish. <laughs> and yes, all the Marines that were with me laughed. <laughs> Doc, I was like, yeah, you guys didn't know either. 
No, but now we know it's not that one. <laughs> I was so glad to get back to the United States where I could read the menu and not have to point, where I knew which bathroom was which. Now they're taking that away, but whatever. <laughs> where just our customs are totally different. But you know what amazes me about this passage? When I get to heaven, I'm not going to feel like a stranger. I'm not going to feel like these customs are odd. I'm not going to feel like the way things are done here is different than what I'm used to. You know why? I'm a citizen there, and it's going to be home. And it's going to feel like home. Isn't that amazing? We read about heaven, and it's different than what we experience here on earth. But God has said, Christian, once you're my child, that is your citizenship, and you will feel at home there. I am thankful that I won't long for anything else because I'm going to feel at home in heaven. We are at home in heaven, yes. We are at home, but we haven't, we're not there yet. But it is my home. Isn't that amazing? With that in mind, our conversation in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking of heaven should make us even more eagerly anticipate, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Right? Do you ever some days just say, the best option for today is Jesus' return? Are we eagerly anticipating his return every day? Looking forward that Jesus could come today. Now, if we live every day as though today could be the day that Jesus comes, then we would look at life differently. We would look at the rules differently. We would look at the race differently. And we'd say, if he could come today, I want to be striving in the race. I want to be striving to serve him. I want to be running lawfully. So I would just do things because Christ is coming today. Well, then, Christian, he could. So let's live every day as though it is the day that Christ is coming. Forget the false teachers. Focus on a good example. Focus on Christ. Focus on the race that is before us. Because our time is short. I'll, I'll be honest. I cannot believe I've been pastoring this church for 14 years. Where has time gone? My kids were little when we came here. Now they're all grown up. What happened? I don't know. I blinked. Verse 21 who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like his glorious body, according to working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Christ has all power. He has the power to change our bodies. I can't, again, I, I, folks, don't get over the fact that someday we're going to put off this flesh, we're going to put off this mortality, and we're going to be clothed with immortality. That's going to be wonderful. The same Jesus that had the power to save you, the same Jesus that has the power to change you at the rapture, is the same Jesus that has the power to give you victory to live the life today. I have heard Christians say, well, I just can't get victory over it. You're right, you can't, but Christ can. And so stop trusting in yourself and trust Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're saying God doesn't have enough power to help me have victory over this. If you're saying I can't have victory over this, what you're truly saying then is Christ's power is not sufficient enough. Well, that's a lie. It is. So stop trusting yourself and trust in him because his power is sufficient to give you victory. You can have a victorious Christian life. You can have an abundant Christian life. 
But it will never happen if you keep focusing on the world. It will never happen if you keep focusing on material things. You have to do it God's way. And I promise you, there is victory. I promise you, there is joy. There is contentment. There is peace. If you do it God's way. So, we need to realize there are examples to follow, enemies to flee, and an end on which to focus. Don't quit. Don't be deceived. Have discernment when dealing with people. Mark the godly people and follow their example. Mark the enemy and avoid them. And keep your focus on Christ and his soon return.